Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners. Yes, you, fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. Every week we meet at this table to experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other through our joys and, yes, our lessons learned. We share topics that tradition tells us there are some things we just don't talk about. But here we live beyond the judgment and the wreckage. We share some aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week, we start right where we are. Although many of your voices will speak light into darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. However, you must come dressed in your inner awesome, believing that impossible is merely a word. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, Cablecast on Cox, and Verizon Files Channel 37, and Comcast Channel 27 in Reston. And we are webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Should you miss us? No worries. Catch our archive, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G Podcast, where you listen to your favorites. And you have a choice to visit me at tyragarlington.com, and the podcasts are also archived there in my media room. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, you know it's easy. Email me at tyra at tyragarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm listening. This month, we're celebrating life, memories, relationships, accomplishments, dreams, and more. In fact, every week this month, Frankly Speaking will explore multiple expressions of gifts. The theme for this month is Unwrapping Your Gifts. The theme for this week is The Gift of Music. And this week's seasonal soundtrack is provided by our guest and the Jazz Orchestra of Mr. Buscelli Wallarab. I've harvested this week's common thought space from a 2018 blog. It's called We Believe in the Power of Music, written by Musicians About Music. And I quote, Music is simply a very special language that everyone understands. There's no feeling that cannot be described and transported through music. It preserves memories for eternity, turns dreams into reality. It caresses the soul or screams unmistakably. Music conquers fear, dries tears, gives courage and strength. It is the safe and expressive home of our emotions. With all facets between joy and pain, irrepressible, lust for life, and thoughtfulness. 
We musicians live on these emotions from our own, from those we trigger in our audience, and those that the audience sends back to us. A permanent interplay of giving and receiving. The uninterpreted exchange of vibes. Not to mention the indescribable agreement with the bandmates when harmonies, melodies, grooves, and hooks intertwine naturally and let us feel the power of music. It may be we musicians are also interested in applause and recognition. After all, a musician is a hero, like any other, and these people want to be seen and heard. It doesn't have to be fame or a lifetime career. A little smile is often enough, but also for listening, celebrating, and thinking. Now, money, that wouldn't be bad, but that can't be planned, and that's not the point. It's about much more, about the greatness of music itself. Music can turn enemies into friends and cross borders. It can ensure that the injuries of this world are heard and seen and unites generations, nations, and cultures in an incomparable way. It can raise its voice, put its finger directly into a wound of grievances, and take people into its protective arms. Music has access to corners of our own psyche that have even been hidden from ourselves. It conjures up experiences from our past, and it plays them for us again, injecting us with the emotions of those long-gone moments. It can support the healing of diseases, or at least alleviate symptoms, and sometimes make the impossible seem possible. As long as there's music, there is always a way. And because we believe in it, we can tell some stories here of what music is capable of, what extraordinary power it has, and why it is simply the greatest thing in the world. But don't let us stop there. All of my regular listeners know for a fact that I have each of my guests introduce themselves. And by doing so, they take up a residence on a shelf in the Frankly Speaking Human Library. This week is no different. But before you hear his words, take a listen to this. Outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Now it doesn't show signs of stopping, and we've got some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow When we finally kiss goodnight How I hate going out in the storm 
But if you'll only hold me tight All the way home I'll be warm Now the fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbying But as long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow is the voice of Mr. Everett Green, feature vocalist of the Buscelli Wallabrob Jazz Orchestra on their CD titled Carol of the Bells. Thank you, Everett. The mic is yours. I want you to tell folks all about you and how you you got to being you. Thank you so very much. Yeah, I'm Everett Green, and I, uh, I live in Indianapolis, Indiana, I was born and raised in Washington, D.C., and I am the fourth of ten brothers and sisters who all sing. <laughs> and happy to say we were all always friends, which was so important to me. I have three fantastic sons and seven wonderful and successful grandkids and five exciting great-grands and two. We're all friends and have great relationships, which is simply a must. You know, you got to have that trust and relationship in your family. And I'm so glad that they all want what I want as well. I worked and retired from the International Harvester Company for after 27 years there, doing some singing part-time throughout those years. And uh, after the thought never entering my mind, uh, and really in my early years of life, uh, at the age of 47, I decided I wanted to become a full-time entertainer. And believe me, I am really glad that I made that decision. Uh, I've been traveling and singing and acting and having fun for the last 39, 40 years. And I worked with some of the world's greatest musicians and actors and so forth and, you know, visited places that I, I never would have dreamed of going. You know, getting involved with Organizations like the History Makers, uh, doing uh, uh, different, uh, getting stories about their lives uh, from years ago, and I hope it will know when I'm ready to fold my tent up and go away. But it's nowhere near anytime soon. 
even after talking to you, Tara, uh, <laughs> I'm finally glad to be here. And I hope it's going to be a good thing. It already is. I mean, <laughs> I feel like when I leave the studio and look up, there may be snow. Who knows? All right. That is, you know. Something new you said to me. I did not know all of your siblings were musicians or sang too. Did you ever perform together? Uh, yes. You know, every year at during my mom's birthday, we all got together mm-hmm. and formed a choir and sang. You know, and uh, initially it was, you know, a small crowd. But after a few years, it became so popular. I mean, people were running to get to the church <laughs> to be able to fill in the seats and so forth. But, yeah, I have uh, one brother who who was, uh, I think, just as much or more, actually, so that I, than I was. He sang with a couple of popular quartets. He was working with the Red Fox organization as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, everybody sings. Everybody tries to sing. Uh, my brother and I were in a quartet together starting out many, many years ago. So, uh, But everybody tries to sing. Everybody has fun. I have a sister that sings like a mockingbird, and she is the only one that I really, really love and love sing duets with. So not the only one, but I mean, I love singing with her more than anybody else. I put it that way. And you uh, better not let the rest of your siblings hear this show no, now no, that no, you no, made no. that <laughs> statement. <laughs> they know that. They know our relationship is, is like tight, 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 you know. Well, <laughs> you know, you put it out there, which is interesting. You said you started to realize that there was something serious you wanted to do with your gift at age 47. So I think, are you telling people it's never too late to realize a dream? Is that what you're saying? Never. You know, never too late. You know, like I said, I, I, I sang before then. Mm-hmm. You know, I sang uh, when I first came to Indiana. I started, I was singing. But, uh, you know, job was first because I had family to take care of. And that was first. So uh, when I had an opportunity to sing occasionally, uh, then I did so, you know. And, uh, but, yeah, I, uh, I had a lot of fun even doing that, singing the part-time jobs, you know. But uh, as uh, time got closer and closer to my being able to leave the job, I got more and more uh, interested in wanting to do more music because I was getting a lot of invitations to do things. And uh, actually, when I was like maybe six years before I could retire, I got lots of offers to do things and go places, but I still wanted to work in those six years and get a retirement, get something stable. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm very, very fortunate and glad that I did that. Yeah. And I think one one thing I don't want to let slide through, uh, you said the word family, and in our prior conversations, you often speak, and you did in your introduction, how important family is to you. Why is that? Where did that come from? I mean, family is important to all of us, but it's a theme that I hear from you repeatedly, and that's not always the case. Because, you know, I've seen families that are torn apart for one reason or another, you know, and uh, it really hurts my heart when I see that. Some people that I know very well, uh, but others, you know, you don't know, but you don't, they don't have a relationship with their family. You know, that's, that's bad. Regardless of what they are, they're your family, you know. And, uh, and I'm so glad we, I've always had a good relationship with my family. I had one sister who disowned me because I didn't go see her in the play, but that only lasted a little while. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, no, just to have, 
that relationship with your family and be able to talk to them and, 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 and do things with them. You know, the young ones as well as the older ones, you know. Like I said, I, I'm the fourth of, of, of ten kids. You know, I've lost three or four siblings, but uh, we still have talks together. We used to get together all the time to, like I say, for my mom's birthday and holidays and things, we were always together, you know. Well, now so that's the family me. that you grew up in, but what about the family that you produced? Well, still, I have, you know, I have so much love now for my kids. I mean, I look at my kids today, and I am grateful that I have them. I mean, like, I have three sons who, I mean, they think, like, I can't do anything. Okay, let me do this for you. Let me do that for you, you know. And it makes me feel really good. You know, times I think, well, wait a minute, I can do some of these things myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I have one son that thinks, oh, every time I want to go away to work, he said, oh, I think I want to make a road trip with you. I said, okay, fine. Then I realized after the second or third time that he was thinking, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't be driving at this stage in your life by yourself, you know. So, But I'll tell you, I, I have enjoyed so much having him and my other kids interested in what I do. Well, now, you, you just know, had a, a huge uh, engagement, I think, over the holiday, right, in Chicago? Yes, I did. I, I, I was in Chicago for four days uh, doing two shows a night. You know, and at this stage in my life, I hadn't done that many shows for a while. But uh, uh, my son decided he was adamant, oh, no, I'm going. I'm going to Chicago. So uh, it was just so much fun, man, to have him with me, to be able to sit back and enjoy things on the highway that I'd never really noticed because I was so busy watching the road. Yeah, that's but, uh, a good point. You're right. Yeah, you see you a know, whole different thing. You know, you right, look one thing, right. you're looking out the side windows instead of the front one all the time. You're right. Well, tell me and, this. And, uh, I think my son enjoy going and do those things. You know, they, they don't normally come to all of my performances. and they, Occasionally they will. But I think that he is really enjoying going places with me now, and especially getting the accolades from people who thanks him for bringing me. Oh, that's special, Everett. Well, now, do any of your kids perform? I'm sorry? Do any of your kids perform? None of my kids perform. You know, they all have a wonderful job. They do do, they perform well at that. I have one grandson that plays the drums. Mm-hmm. And a granddaughter thing. In fact, uh, they, he did a big. My, in fact, my grandson has worked with me before. Oh, really? You know, he never wanted to be a. He never wanted to do music because he was a computer geek. So mm-hmm. uh, but uh, after uh, getting into college, he did decide he wanted to play more drums, and uh, he played around. Now he's getting to the point where people are really inviting him to work with him. You know, so. Uh, so that's, that makes me feel good. You know, his dad, uh, when his dad was growing up, he beat on everything, tables and chairs. <laughs> so I bought him, you know, practice pads and so forth. Then eventually uh, I put him in drum school, drum lessons, uh-huh. and I bought a set of drums. He went to drum school for like, what, one or two years? And after I bought the set of drums, he never touched the drum since then. <laughs> I wonder what the message was. <laughs> Like, wait a minute, I don't think I want to do this. Man, right, you know, right, I, right. I, mean, I can beat on everything. <laughs> but, but yeah, now one granddaughter is a very good singer, but everybody tries. Everybody's involved in music in some way, you know, and that's, my mom was a singer, 
fantastic singer. Uh-huh. And my dad was a musician. My dad played the piano and the drums in the band in Washington, D.C. area. Okay. You know, so uh, I had an opportunity to, uh, I followed my mom to church all the time because I love to hear her and her sister sing in the choir. Gospel music. You know, that's one of the things that get, really got me started mm-hmm. into really enjoying the music, you know. And, and as I speak later about the fact that she sat me on her knee and taught me a song when I was four years old. Mm. Four years old. And uh, actually, I, I had never thought about that song, not outwardly anyway, and always in my mind, mm-hmm. some way or another. But I did a concert when I was 50. And my mom, she was making her grand entrance, you know, and the show program has already started. So my mom comes <laughs> in with a big, beautiful hat, you know. Uh-huh, of course. Of course. <laughs> so I stopped in the middle of the song that I was doing, uh-huh. and I mentioned this song. I said, my mom taught me a song when I was four years old, and I've never had the opportunity to sing it for her. Oh. So we stopped to sing that song right then, you know. Uh, right then and there, uh, standing in the safety zone. Sometimes I have to stand alone. If you want to get to heaven, you got to stand in the safety zone. And that song has been with me for all those years, you know. So, uh, but that was how I think it's how it all started. And my dad, as I got a little older, I could go, especially during the summer times, mm-hmm. I could go to his gigs, and if nothing else but to help get the drums back home safe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And to see, I think it's important as well, because a band is a high-functioning team. And I think it's important yeah. for young people to see, you know, like, yes, there are various soloists doing various songs, but everybody's working to da- together to make the best possible sound come together. And I think... A young person working with his dad's, making sure everything got back home, still yeah. absorbs some of the things that the musicians working together were doing, right? So, so and this is like my son, you know, he put my music, got my music up. And I tell musicians now, when I work with a musician, I say, listen, there's no big eyes in this. This is all we all in this together. Yes, you know, we, yes, we yes. Make each other, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, we all got a part. So we got to work together, and it makes everybody more relaxed and able to have more fun, you know, because I tell them all the time, if it ever ceases to be fun, I swear I'm quitting, you know. I hear that, but no, I think you're going to be singing, you're going to be singing with the angels. Let me ask you this, you said... Not, not yet. You know, not I'm not. I'm not. I'm not calling. I'm not making it. No, I'm not making any announcements. I'm just saying, somebody with this much passion, it will probably be an eternal passion. Yes. Yes. Let me ask you this: What was your favorite band, or maybe one or two orchestras that you enjoyed performing with? Well, you know. I uh, I performed with the Count Basie band, mm-hmm. and that is the epitome of bands. You know, I, I used to go and watch the Count Basie band at the Howard Theater in Washington, mm-hmm. and never, ever dreaming that I could ever be a part of it, you know. And uh, I was in New York, I was in New York at a, for a conference, and I was talking to the band leader, and I was telling him that I was doing a, con- doing a, doing a show there. And that I was a vocalist. She said, okay, well, we're looking for a vocalist. 
give me your package. So I did. I gave the guy my package, and uh, I never heard no more from him. And later on, I was wor- working with the Chicago Jazz Orchestra, and we were doing a battle of the bands with, this, with the Count Basie band. Mm. Well, I had just previously done a tribute to Joe Williams and Count Basie with the Smithsonian Jazz Orchestra. Mm-hmm. I used all of the Count Basie and Joe Williams charts against the Count Basie band. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, the press had a field day, you know. So. But uh, I-, I love the Count Basie band. Now, the bands are so different. You know, like some bands, they, they get on the stage and they are like on fire. But mm-hmm. when they get off stage, they don't, you know, they don't want to talk about it, you know. Mm-hmm. But the band you just played, the Bacino Wilder Rebel Orchestra, those guys, most of them were educators. And they loved music inside and out. Wow. So that's one of the things I really, really enjoyed about them, you know, really enjoyed working with them. So, uh, and that's what makes it good, you know. You know. Well, let me I ask you this. You, do what you love. Yes, do what you love. I like that. Yeah. Do what I'm writing that down. I like to take little things <laughs> with. Do what you love. Now, I want you to talk about how you have expanded that do what you love to work with young generations and what you do with the school children. Well, students, not children. I'm sorry. Well, about maybe about 40 years or so ago, I uh, became a member of the Young Audiences organization in Indianapolis here. And uh, we had a program, me and a piano player, that was called Using Your Voice for Fun and Profit. Mm. And we were going to the schools and you do concerts for the kids. And we would give them a concert just like we, they would if they were coming to a big club or something, you know. Uh-huh. So, uh, and we always try to get them involved in the music because you go into a school at 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, these kids are still asleep. Yes, that's true. So we had to devise uh, uh, some ways to get these kids wide awake. So what we would do sometimes, I would take all of the names as they come in, and I'd get them, I'd sing a blues song to their names. Oh, I like and that. I would get them involved and excited. Or I'll do have them to bring me a nursery rhyme uh-huh. and have them to come and help me sing the blues to a nursery rhyme. So that always woke the kids up, you know, and made them more involved and wanted to be involved in it, you know. And uh, and I, one of the things I used to tell the kids, you know, you can get in trouble in in school by retaliating to something that someone may do to you. Right. You know, and nine out of ten times, they're not going to get caught, but you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now this person got complete control over you because he can always get you in trouble and they can always tell people how to get you in trouble. But if you just ignore that, other than him touching you, you ignored it and just thank, say thank you and just keep smiling, pretty soon he may decide, so what, gee, I want to see what they're doing to make you so happy all the time. So then pretty soon you, he's following you. He wanted to do what you do. Mm. And uh, he don't have the, the power over you to get you in trouble. So, you know, just... Take it, put a song in your heart and in your head, and when you can, put it on your lips whenever something like that happens to you. And pretty soon, you're just ignoring all of that, you know. So keep a song. Keep a song in your heart. Keep a song in your head. I've always, music has been such a savior for me in so many situations, you know. And, uh, you know, I hope I hope it'll always be that way, you know, uh, even if 
<laughs> well, the unfortunate happens. I hope that, you know, I, I'll still have some music somewhere humming or tapping <laughs> or something. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. You actually, do you have a formal relationship then, an ongoing relationship? I know you talked to me about a, um, a brand manager uh, that you worked with in the schools. Well, no, uh, this organization is called the, the Young Audiences, and uh, just a piano player and I. Uh-huh. And I'm on my second piano player now, and he's sickly, so I have, we haven't done anything, especially since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But uh, organization, the school is all, you go all over the state and perform for the kids, you know. And uh, uh, it's really something that's really wonderful for the kids because it introduces them to so many different types of music and entertainment, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, you be, learn to, well, I've had kids come to me later on in life and, and talk about hearing us and then wanting to be involved in music. Mm. So that's what the whole, the whole thing is all about, you know. To get you, let you know what, that you can do this music and you can be happy as a lark later on in your life, you know. Uh, and just always have, have something to fall back on. I talk to kids who go to school and study music. And I've talked to so many of them, and this, they go to school and they study music and they get their degrees in music, and then they get gradu- they graduate, then they go into another field. Mm-hmm. I said, listen, you can always use that music to come back on. If you've got a stressful job, come back in and play your music, play your instrument. Don't ever put it in the corner. Play it for half an hour, play it for an hour. You know, you'd be surprised what it'll do for you. I work, I work with a couple of doctors who who are musicians, and they finally say, "Okay, I'm going to quit this. I'm going to play my music all the time." You know, and it's so good to see that you use that music for healing. Yes, you yes. Know? I remember you know? um, yeah. when my um, when my dad was uh, diagnosed terminally, and and he had to retire. We always had a piano, but he bought an organ as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. and uh, his comfort during that period during that season was his music and mm-hmm. um and I watched actually I told a story last week because my dad the the sadness that I have is I never asked my dad where he learned to play the piano never mm-hmm. and he played and he played and he played the the um organ as well and I found out after he passed that uh, a friend, uh, I don't know how it happened, probably social media, uh, saw my name and said, are you related to? And, oh, yes, we used to, um, we used to follow Count, Count Basie around all the time. And I'm going, my dad? He, he was a principal of a school. Yeah, your dad. <laughs> and I was like, I love it. I love it. Music is everywhere, and you don't know it. Right, you know. Well, I let mean, me ask you this. Um, I've been curious. Every time I talk to you, you are so positive. What did what? There has to have been something that you had to overcome in your life that uh, you use this positivity for. What What's been your biggest challenge? You know, I say this: if I can't do something about it. I'm going to leave it alone, put it in someone else's hand. If I can, I'm going to do it. You know, so why would you fret and get yourself all upset? I had a very, very bad stomach at one time worrying about things. 
and I was on like all these pills and things, you know, four times a day because, <clears throat> pardon me, my insides were so upset. Mm-hmm. But worrying about something you can't do anything about. So think positive. You know, think positive what's going on. And, and uh, I think it'll help you get through almost any situation. I had a situation happened to be in Chicago. A young guy wanted to start some problems. He was like, high on something, I don't know what. But he wanted to start some trouble with us. And uh, we wouldn't bite. So, you know, he went on after we ignored him. He went on back to his business. And pretty soon, someone come up and say, okay, this guy beat your car to death. So call the police. And the police finally came, and we were talking to him. And he said to me, he said, well, how can you be so calm? I said, there's nothing I can do about this now. Now, if I had come here when he's beating on my car, one of us would have been in the hospital or Crown Hill. But, you know, <laughs> that's nothing I can do about this now. Do, do what you can when you can. So don't get stressed out for something that you can't do anything about, you know. And, and when I see, I have friends now, you know, if someone gets sick, somebody they know, oh, they get so stressed out, but you can't do nothing about that, but pray for them. Don't get all messed up. You know, you're all messed up. Your whole system is messed up because you're worrying about somebody else or something you can't do anything about. Okay, then I give you another challenging question. Since you are full of positivity, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? What would you do? If I could not fail? If you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do? (laughs) That's a good question. What would I do? I think... I don't think I would change too much of what I would do, but maybe I would go back and start taking some instruments. You know, that's the only thing I would do. And that's the only thing I see in my life that I would change, that if I could go back and do something. Uh, I had opportunities to play all instruments when I was growing up. But I'm a doo-wopper. What do I need with instrument? You know? Well, okay, so that's you. But what if you could impact the world? Not just you. What would you do to change it? I'd spread more love. You know, I'd find some way. You know, i do a song that says, live every day like Christmas and what a wonderful world it would be. If you let people get that joy uh, uh, that they have during the Christmas season, you know, then if, if you could find a way to spread that to people all the way, all the time, Look at what it would be. Look how happy we would all would be, you know. Every, and, and why, why is that? Why, you know, what you just said is true. Why, what is it? What happens? I know it's commercialized, so it's in your face all the time. But what happens at Christmas that changes our society to, to try? <laughs> we don't always get there. To try to spread more. What is it? Do you know what it is? I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's something to be trying to be, okay, I want to show off. I want to be more than anybody else. But I tell folks, I, I was looking at a lady one day at the mall. She had two big shopping bags. And she said, oh, my God, I forgot to get Aunt so-and-so a present. And 10 to 1, I said to myself, I bet she hasn't even talked to Aunt so-and-so since last year. You know, I got to the point where I wouldn't give my kids toys and things for Christmas. You know, I'd do them uh, – savings bonds, mm-hmm. I would take them all out individually and let them buy whatever they want, you know, two or three times a year or so. And because 
you get to the point where you opening Christmas presents, you're throwing everything aside. You don't know who gave you what. You know, it's just the thought of give, give somebody something that they know that you gave it to them. You know, okay. uh, and it's not only for just for Christmas because you thought you would like to see them have it. You know, but uh, this this Christmas thing, I mean, it's just it's just so commercialized anymore. And I and I think I I think I well I was already had the thought in my mind about the commercialism of Christmas. But when I spent time in Italy and saw how everything was so spiritual at Christmas time. Ah, yes, you know, yes, it is. Yes, it was so spiritual, and that was that was just right down my alley because you didn't see a lot of Santa Clauses and things like that in the windows. You saw uh, the the you know the angels, the manger scenes, and things like that. You know, and it was just so rewarding. You know, people in church, this praising God. You know, yeah. not going to the grocery store or the shopping center and praising the the the, the, uh, the retailers. You know, and in Japan it was just just a little different. You know, you go. We were in Japan on Thanksgiving, and the day after the day after Thanksgiving on Good Friday. I mean, you stand in line to get into the escalator. Mm-hmm. People shopping, mm-hmm. trying to do things for Christmas. You know, that's that's crazy. So that's I'm hearing you say, in your words, uh, the commercialization of Christmas takes, I'm putting my words to it, in your mind, takes the joy out of it. You would like to see people give something of themselves or at least something that would make the person receiving the gift remember that exchange, remember what happened. Is that correct? So, right, and you give it not to get something in return. Okay, giving you know, not to get I'm something not in return. I'm this for the gift exchange. I'm giving this because I want to see you with it, you know. And, and, uh, and that's what most Christmas are. So, my God, you didn't give me no gift. I gave you, I spent so-and-so on your gift. You know, okay. Fact, I had we had a when I was in when I was when I was in Italy at one time uh, we exchanged gifts and they said okay we had a limit on uh, what you spend so to speak mm-hmm. and uh, and I I saw this priest with this wonderful black leather jacket and a red scarf and I went all over Rome trying to find a red scarf mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the people in the cast was with me and. Uh, so I couldn't find the red scarf. So I found that she had my name in the exchange, and she gave me a red scarf, which was way over what the price was that they were supposed to give, you know. But you know, I have and I have no problem with giving a person what you think they want, you know. Uh, when you're giving a gift, when you know you have, have got a got something like that to do. You give give a person what you think they'll use. Okay, uh, well, just one, gift, one time a guy gave me a little small alarm alarm clock. You know, a little travel alarm clock. Yep. Thirty five years ago, I still have it. I still use it. Okay, so yeah. let me ask you this: You said the red scarf was something you really wanted. I don't know how your secret Santa knew that, but you got it, and now you, it's a memory to you. The alarm clock, I'm like, you, you use it all the time. Well, let me ask you this. Well, what else What else do you have that has been gifted to you that you remember? Oh, boy. Man, I got, I've got, 
I think my son used talking about this the other day. So you don't throw anything away. Oh, never mind, Everett. If you if you're going to talk about all the things you say, that's okay. I'll ask you another question. But see, they, some things have so much memory. I you. know. I'm teasing you. They mean nothing to anybody else. I'm teasing but you. you it's, it's, it's something. It's, it's very sentimental, you know. I'm t- and, I'm teasing uh, you. Yeah. Okay. I'm teasing you. Now, before before we go too far, I want you to share with our listening audience something that uh, I can actually testify to, that you are a master cane maker, because I have one. Tell them why you got into it and, and why it brings you such pleasure. Well, I have been collecting canes for like almost 40 years. I have a friend who was a musician as well, and he had an ivory cane that he got somewhere. So I said, wow, that is so, so nice. So then I started, whenever I traveled, I was always looking for canes. Walking canes. Walking canes, yeah, you know, fancy ones. And Mm -hmm. so anyway, uh, I I collected quite a few canes, and in fact, my family, they wouldn't even use a cane until I gave them one of mine. So, but in the maybe about five or six years ago, I was at the state fair and I found a cane with one of the horses' hames on it, one of the decorations for the horses. Yeah, it had a hame on it. So I just added a few tacks to it, you know, and said I got so many compliments on it. I said, wow, you know, on a little plain stick. So I found out where I could buy the hame. And uh, I started ordering it myself and getting a nice oak stick and doing different paint jobs. And I mean, like, you wouldn't believe the canes that I've had to make for people. You know, like right now, I've got four orders for canes. I tell people now, I make them at my own leisure. So, uh, and I always make them hand, make them by hand because I have no idea what I would use, what kind of tool I would use <laughs> to make a cane with, you know. And I've had I've had uh, carpenters tell me, "Oh yeah, I know you use the lathe. I don't know what a lathe is." <laughs> <laughs> well, all I can do is testify to the fact that uh, it's lovely. And a disclaimer: I did not ask for a cane. One just came in the mail after I invited Everett to be uh, a part of the show. And a, a very special friend of mine told me about Everett, and she just happened to mention. And guess what? My husband had him make a cane for me because she'd been having problems with her knees. And I said, a cane? She said, a walking cane. I said, really? Then she sent me a picture. I said, oh, that's really nice. And all I had to do was say, oh, that's really nice. And all of a sudden, I have a cane. And it's wonderful. But I don't use mine. I just have mine sitting there looking pretty. Well, you know what? You don't have to need a cane to have a cane. I know. You told me. I know. I call my cane support if and when you need it, security if and when you need it, and style all the time. You know, but uh, I collected been collecting canes for so long. You know, like I said, I never used needed a cane then. I just wanted a certain kind of a cane. So when I find the one that I like, I buy it. So, but now you know, I've had a few problems with my knees. Yeah, I use my cane for support because of my balance is not good at all times. But, uh, 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 you know, it's just something that I enjoyed doing. I, once I started doing it, it was like, it's, you know, actually, it was uh, t- time-suming and very expensive to make a cane. You know, for, I was making it for myself. I wasn't making it for anybody else to buy little cheap products and so forth. But, 
uh, I found the things that I watered on the cane. And uh, uh, like by the time I <clears throat> made a cane, you know, I spent a lot of money just making one cane but and a lot of time. So it, they're all very special to me. And I think they're uh, all very, I, I think they're all very special to the people yeah. for whom you've made them. There's something else that you do uh, with a lot of passion, and I want to make sure that my audience, if they didn't hear at the beginning, will uh, at least be familiar with the passionate sound of Mr. Everett Green. So I'm going to let them hear a little bit more sounds of the season, okay? Okay, cool. Good. Christmas, make the Yuletide gay. From now on, our troubles will be miles away. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletide bright. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Here we are as in olden days, happy golden days of yore. Faithful friends who are dear to us, gather near to us once more. If the fates allow, hang a shining star upon the highest bough, and have yourself a merry little Christmas now. Merry little girl. 
So, Mr. Everett Green with the Buscelli. You know, I have to pronounce this right. Buscelli Wallarab. Buscelli Wallarab Orchestra. And, uh, yeah, that's orchestra versus band. But we've been talking to Mr. Everett Green, musician extraordinaire, as you heard. But more than that, go beyond the voice. And that voice got started with, I guess, sitting on mother's knee at age four. And he testifies to the fact that that song, then he remembers now. And he also wants to tell us, do what you love in life. And, you know, apparently he is. But one of the most important things ever talks about is family, not just the one he grew up in, but the one that he grew out and gave the world and the intergenerational love that he spreads. I'm going to ask Everett now, because uh, he knows he has an assignment, to read his letter that he wrote to his younger self so that you might see some additional insights. Mr. Everett, would you do that now? I surely will. Hello, young Everett. As I look back over the years and remember the adventurous you always were, I'm grateful that you were never tempted to do some of the so-called adventures that some of your friends and acquaintances decided to do. Mainly, and above all else, you were concerned about what mom would say or do if you got into trouble. You were so involved in music and theater that you didn't need any other adventures. Your interest in music started very young when mom taught you your first song at four. And the song was, I'm standing in the safety zone. Sometimes I have to stand alone. Moving on, you sang in glee clubs at elementary school and then discovering the doo-wop craze in junior and senior high school. Then you never thought about singing professionally, but you were always working at your craft so that you would be ready if any opportunity to sing came your way. You thought your life would be having a good government job and singing just for the love and the fun of it. Now, when you were old enough, the lure of dress blues in the Marine Corps prompted you to enlist but you never lost your interest in singing, knowing that singing kept you so calm. In the hills of Korea, you sang in your mind, in your heart, and sometimes on your lips. Your main song then was, I had a little talk with the Lord. There on a battle-weary island, I had a little talk with the Lord. I'm sure it helped to protect and bring you safely home. After discharge, you visited Indiana for a weekend where mom had moved with her job that lasted for 66 years. Getting involved in the jazz music scene, you used your old method of work and practice habits until you were ready to join the fun. <laughs> but it wasn't always fun. After signing a bad contract, you left the jazz scene. You sang gospel music exclusively for 10 years before getting tempted to go back into the gospel. Then it became fun again. And it was very rewarding traveling to Italy, Japan, Africa, Russia, Mexico, Canada, and all through the United States, singing in many different venues, jazz clubs, doing commercials, narrations, theater, and even a bit part in a movie, even though you weren't a trained musician. 
I thank you for your love of music and the thought in mind that you always put your best foot forward, whatever you do. Be proud to know that you did it, whatever it is you're doing, and knowing that you always had someone walking with you, leading you and guiding you every step of the way. You gave me a great start. Now, I got you covered. Mm-hmm. I'll take the next 10 or 15 years, and I know so because I'm still standing in the safety zone. <laughs> Is that you? That's me. Oh, that's Everett, me. that's delightful. Absolutely <laughs> delightful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate thank it. You. I well, want you to. You're going to know how happy I am I met you. Oh, oh thank I you. Because, you know, the conversation that we had just put me in your vein. I mean, I listened to you talk, and we just had such a wonderful conversation, not even knowing each other. And, <laughs> you know, I wanted you to have a king. You know, so Thank about. you so much. You know, I, I always say this. I absolutely love when our stories look and walk beyond into places where expanded stories begin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, it's just it's just fun to be able to look back at some of the things you did in your life and see the good that it's done for someone else. Yeah. I didn't realize it. Yeah. I didn't realize it is. You know, when people come to you and say things, say, wow, you know, I never thought that you were even listening to what I was doing or look, watching what I was doing. You know, so it makes you, like I look at my kids and my, my son's kids. They look at me, I look at them now, and they say, well, I said, man, you sure are sharp. So, well, Mr. Green, we look at you. We had you to look at, look at that, too, you know. There uh, you so go. That makes you feel good. You there know, you go. These kind of things like that. So they just make you, you know, I'm, I'm just happy with my life, you know. And uh, I don't, I try to stress in my life because I'm going to have room for it, you know. Well, I'm going to have to begin <laughs> to uh, sign us out, okay? Um, well, I will tell you this. Music. We can't forget about music, Right. Our soulful gift from today is that music, for all the things it is, is also a matter of emotions and nostalgia. Music is the soundtrack of our life, and we're emotionally attached to music. We're listening to when things happen, like in our lives, like breakups, romantic relationships, successes, failures, etc. By the way, what is your thong? What is your song? And why is it your song? Think about that. Frankly speaking is our time and space to help, to heal, to educate, and encourage each other into the best version of ourselves. You've been listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia. Cablecast on Cox of Verizon Fios, Channel 37, and Comcast, Channel 27, in Reston, and webcast worldwide, don't forget this, on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. I want you to re- remember now, your seat at this table is guaranteed, all right? All you have to do is show up. I look forward to next time. I want you to remember that you're worthy of giving, of receiving. Believe you are new every moment. New. 
your time, your energy, your mind, the people who come into your life, they are all gifts and they are infinite. They belong to you and to everyone else. Remember, you're stronger than you feel, smarter than you think. You're more beautiful than you know and more loved than you can ever imagine. You are chosen. You're important. Now you promise me you're going to treat yourself like someone you love. I'm here until next time. I'll be thinking of you and loving you and listening. This is Tyra G. See you next time.